With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Ladies and gentlemen, tonight, the reigning, defending, 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 undisputed universal heavyweight champion, Wildcat Radio 2.0, bear down. You beautiful people. What's up, everybody? This is Wildcat Radio 2.0. I'm Adam Green, joined by Brett Berry. And Brett, we're recording this on Wednesday, May 27th. And on this day, this morning, Arizona basketball got some really big news. It had been speculated for weeks now, maybe even a month. I think I joked about it last week, that European recruit number two, We've been waiting on and waiting on. Well, looks like they got European recruit number two and I guess number three with the commitments of, I'm going to say this once, it looks like Azulis Tubelis and his twin brother Tadvilas Tubelis. And I'm sorry if I butchered your names. I don't have a pronunciation guide, but two players from Lithuania. Um, Azulis is supposed to be one of the best players who's coming over from Europe to play college ball. And Arizona's roster, again, gets a huge boost. Yeah, knock on wood, another week, but it's like basically all positive news for Arizona Wildcats this week. <laughs> See, which is like, yeah, it's like, <laughs> as I look over my shoulder for, you know, some major injury or, uh, you know, what have you. But yeah, um, you know, it's 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 funny because you think back to, what, six six weeks ago, eight weeks ago, we were like, boy we have to fill an entire roster. What is this team going to look like? It's going to be a gigantic step back. And suddenly, you know, you look at our, we're, we're over the scholarship limit and with depth and, you know, uh, I believe it's, I believe Tot Vilas is the, is he, he's the higher rated one, right? No, I think uh, it's Azulis is. Is it Azulis? Yeah, oh, it's Azulis is the top rated of the two, but Yeah. He, he's, I think he's two inches taller, so they're clearly not identical twins. <laughs> I, but it's, I don't know these players. I'll, I think I don't know how familiar you are with them, but clearly, Azulis is the, supposed to be the better one, the high rate recruit. And people are talking; he's anywhere from a four to possibly even five star player. He's a forward, left-handed, can play defense, get to the bucket, rebounds the ball well. Just an outstanding prospect. Six foot nine, two hundred forty-three pounds. He averaged sixteen and a half points and six point one rebounds in just twenty-eight minutes per game in the NKL, which I guess is Lithuania's second best professional league. And apparently, he had offers from places like Kentucky and Wake Forest. So it's not like this is a guy that Arizona plucked from nowhere that no one was familiar with. He's a player that was pretty well coveted. And I guess the question was whether he'd come over to the states. And it was probably either Arizona or just stay a professional or go professional back home. He chose college, and he chose Arizona. And like I said, it's just another big step forward for this Wildcats program, which, like you said, just eight weeks ago, nine weeks ago, we weren't sure if they'd have a roster. And now not only do they have a full roster, it's a little bit too full at this moment. 
and it looks like it could be a pretty damn good roster. Yeah, and uh, Tubelis, if that's correct, um, you know, he fills what we kind of, at least my concern with the roster was, what happens when you get into the half court and, you, you, you know, who's going to be your guy you can dump the ball into the post to run the offense through? And I'm not going to, you know, lie and say I've spent hours and hours watching Lithuanian basketball games, but I, I, I have taken the time to kind of go, you know, read the scouting reports, and I watched uh, some fairly lengthy highlight clips where you just kind of get a sense of how the player is. You know, he seems to fill a need on this roster and somebody that has the chance to maybe not be, you know, an elite NBA player, because I'm not sure his athletic... I think he has decent athleticism. I don't think he has necessarily, like, elite NBA-level athleticism, because there's a pretty major jump there. But he strikes me as the kind of guy that is going to be highly productive, super high basketball IQ, super good touch, pretty good ball handler for a big guy. I think he can shoot a little bit, but that's not really his his thing. Super coordinated. Not a stretch four or anything. You know, uh, he, he seems to have a very high basketball IQ, soft touch, and really coordinated and kind of knows what he's doing out there. And, like, you know, it seemed to have pretty good chemistry with the guys he had on the court, which I'm curious to see him with, like, Kirk Carissa, like a, that kind of... The, the, both of those guys seem to fit that, you know, stereotypical Euro skilled ball movement type player that, you know, sometimes back in the day used to give the American guys fits because it was like they're they're kind of playing playing two passes ahead like you do in in hockey. Yeah. And as opposed to the NBA back in the day where it was like you know hand checks and one on one basketball. Um, it's a different game. At least it yeah. was. And that, and that's the Euro influence, I think, in, in like getting rid of the hand check in the NBA has kind of changed the game to today. And he seems to really fit that well. Um, and, you know, suddenly you look at our, our roster and you say, oh, I, I went from, oh, gosh, how are we going to have any depth to, oh, boy, how are some of our players going to have any minutes? <laughs> no, I mean, that's, that's a good problem to have. But there's also the question, we're going to go back to this, is that how many new players or how many guys are going to be figuring, factoring in? And one of the, I guess, the unwritten thing or the unsaid thing up to this point where we're recording this is Arizona's won over the scholarship limit, which means someone's got to go. And we talked about it some last week. It's probably Brandon Williams. Like, that's that's the easy answer. And whether that means going pro like I think he should or he transfers to another program that will medically clear him to play, we'll find out. But it certainly seems like he's the one to go. So if you assume that Brandon Williams is the guy who is not on this roster, then you have, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten players on the team who did not play for Arizona last season. The only players who were on the floor for the Wildcats would be Christian Coloco, or I guess three players, Christian Coloco, Ira Lee, and Jamal Baker. Three guys who were, and you could say, like, Jordan Brown was with the program all season long, and Akinjo, James Akinjo, was with them for half a season. But just three players who saw court time in a game for the Arizona Wildcats. This is going to be an entirely new basketball team. And to your point, Brett, with the style that some of these guys would seem to play with, with that European style, it's going to be a different-looking Arizona basketball team, not just because of the players being different, but the skill sets they bring and the style of basketball they will play would appear to be a different game, which, you know what, I'm excited to see it because what Arizona had done the last couple of seasons, the last few seasons, wasn't working to the level that we all wanted to see them work to and see, you know, we expected it to work to. So 
it's so much potential. And we, it's easy to forget guys like about Dale and Terry, right, who's a really high-level recruit. It's easy to forget about Ben Matherin because he's, I mean, he's another one of those foreign guys for this team, but he was one of the first guys to commit. So there's a lot of excitement over the recent players. But this is a team that's going to look so different. And in this case, different could lead to being that much better. Yeah, I feel like this roster is going to be some kind of a blend of modern day Gonzaga and old Xavier uh, Sean Miller teams, if that makes sense. Good like Xavier. Sure. Gonzaga. Gonzavier. That's your own number three. <laughs> you know, because so, like you're gonna have. It, the, if you look at the look at the, like look at the post positions, right? You have this interesting combination of skilled Euro guys. Uh, you know, the freak athlete that is Christian Coloco, Jordan Brown. That's like the dirty work, tough guy, uh, strong post guy. I think he's kind of one of those big variables. But now, uh, you know, with Azulis Tabulis, <laughs> if that's how you, if 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 that's if those are supposed to rhyme. <laughs> Um, uh, you know, with with him there, I think that with him and Bacho, I think that takes a lot of pressure off of Jordan Brown to have to try to make himself into a low post scorer, and even Christian Coloco for that for that matter. Jordan Brown, Sean Miller, a couple weeks ago said he expects to be a double digit score next season. Yeah, but but double digit scoring doesn't require that much skill if you're like a good offensive rebounder, right? Sure, and you I'm get just out, saying, yeah. Well, I think that means he's going to be playing a lot of minutes, which I think makes sense with the way the roster is kind of set up and that he's familiar with the system. Uh, but, yeah, it's, 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 it's a really intriguing roster now. I mean, we were talking about how it was intriguing before this, and now, you know, Azulis might be the, end up being the highest-rated guy in the class, right? Um, and he, could, he has the potential to be a one-and-done type uh, European player. He's like the highest-rated Euro player... Uh, that's basically not going straight to the NBA, right? Yeah. Uh, so there's kind of, I mean, there's it's kind of like a modifier there, but that's kind of the nature of modern college basketball is a lot of even U.S. guys don't go uh, to college anymore. They're going to the pro the pro route or the G League route. So, you know, there's, it's going to be interesting to see how minutes get allotted, who's going to be able to, you know, swallow their pride and accept a, a role. I think the one thing is, as we've talked about before, we have a lot of guys that have, that are kind of role players with potential, if that makes sense. And I think one or two of those guys are probably going to blow up over the course of the season. That'll they'll kind of naturally rise to the top. I think Akinjo is the one sure thing you have on the roster, and everyone else is kind of, we'll see, right? Even Jamal Baker, if you believe that he was playing at 80% last year, he can maybe take a big step forward, right? Yeah. Or or he could be on the outside looking in for minutes if. Kerr Carissa comes in and is what I, you know, I think his upside is higher than Jamal Baker's, right? There's ten players who have never played in a game for the Wildcats, three returners. Of those three returners, not one of them, I guess you could say Baker had a pretty large role last season, but to your point, if he wasn't himself, how much better could he be? And if he can't be much better, how much role will we have on this team going forward? When you look at the roster, there's just... (laughs) I, I'm glad I don't have to sort this out, and we'll see with everything how much off-season work these guys get to do, how much basketball they get to play before the season starts, whenever the season starts, because 
I have a feeling this is going to be a type of roster that is going to go through the entirety of non-conference play where who knows if Akinjo is going to be part of the non-conference season. But it's going to go through all that time just to find out who fits into those roles because when you look at it right now, there's not one player you could pencil into a specific role and say he's going to be I mean, outside of Akinjo and say that's your starting point guard when he's eligible to play. There's not one other player, probably Jordan Brown. It looks like maybe at the five for this team. But other than those maybe two, every one of these players, the rest of them could be turned into a star on this team. They could be a starter. They could be great off the bench. They could be role players. To your point, there's probably going to be a couple guys that blow up this season, and everyone's looking at this roster and saying, oh, it's going to be together for two, three, four years. There's going to be someone that blows up and decides they're going to go pro somewhere. That always happens, especially the one thing we all like to forget or we don't like to think about with these European guys is there's always an opportunity to go back home and play professional basketball. And I've read somehow Dusan Ristich every season would think about going back home to play pro. You know, did we ever think he was a pro guy at U of A? It's like, no, he's Dusan Ristich. He should be here for a few years. He's a good player. But he never thought he's the guy who's going to leave early. Well, there's other opportunities besides the NBA to leave early for. So we'll see which of these guys blow up. But if it's the right guys that blow up, and then the other players, the role guys, like a Jamal Baker or I'll say Akinjo and Brown, who we know what roles they should be able to fill, this team could be really good. But I just, I like looking at this roster, what we ha- like what Arizona's put together, but I can't at all come close to predicting who's going to do what. I, I can't. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's a safe bet that one of Dalen Terry or Ben Mathurin is going to blow up a little bit this year and be like... You think those okay. are the most likely guys? I think, I think so. I think there's a chance Jordan, you know, Jordan Brown was a five-star guy for a reason, but he didn't show much at Nevada, right? But right. he's had some time to mature, and maybe he, you know, maybe he's a guy that only plays here for one year, or he plays for a couple years. I don't know. I think one of Dalen Terry and Ben, I think one of them emerges as an NBA prospect. Um, I and I kind, I think. I think Dalen Terry is probably the more skilled one, but I think Ben is the more freak athlete, which might result in um, in in him being the one that the NBA scouts kind of drool over a little bit more. One of the interesting implications, I think, of uh, Tabellus committing and having that that much more scoring on the court too, is I think that actually opens up Ben to start at the three rather than over Dale and Terry, whereas before I would have thought Dale and Terry was going to start because he was more balanced and more a good playmaker so, type of player yeah, but, out there. Yeah, like, he's not a, he, he has the potential to be a really good defender, but he's a really good facilitator, right? Um, but now if you have, you know, a significant post-scoring threat to go along with Jordan Brown, maybe you go defense, like in the Rondé Hollis-Jefferson kind of role, right? Um I, I, I think there's like a lot of tiny ripples that are like intriguing things to think about with this roster. Um, you know, <laughs> we'll, we'll see. Cause I think the the big question marks are real, you know, I think one of Dale and Terry or Ben are starting at the three, to be honest. Or they could I go think with the multi-guard line of Terrell Brown, who has experience as <laughs> that's, we don't I know think, what type of roster they're going to yeah, put together with these guys. We just don't. I think Terrell Brown is going to be going and score off the bench guy personally. <laughs> Um, because I I think Kirk Carissa's got a really good chance of starting at the, as a multi guard lineup with him and Akinjo in the backcourt. One thing to not underestimate though is this experience playing college basketball. And with all these guys coming over, we like that they come over from the European game and what that brings. But it also they're not familiar necessarily with what's going to happen in the Pac-12 or just in the non-conference. Whereas Terrell Brown, 
I know he didn't play in the Pac-12, but he has experience as a college basketball player. You know, Jordan Brown has some experience. Ira Lee, Jamal Baker, Christian Coloco. And I'm not saying they're going to be the key guys all season long because of that. But until you know what you have on the other guys, and until Sean Miller knows what he has in those other players, I could easily see him turning more towards the quote-unquote veterans on this team to try to at least steady this ship while those guys are like, It's possible. Like, I mean, no one knew what Lowry Marketing was going to be. There was all the offseason talk about how good he was, and then it just happened. He was ready to go, but unless one of these, like, we don't know which of these guys is going to be ready to go as a true freshman like Lowry Markkinen was. We don't know what you're going to need a few games to kind of get their sea legs under them and be ready to play at this level. And, and part of the thing, too, is, is James Akinjer able to play at the beginning of the season? If he is, that changes the entire dynamic. And if he's not, if Kirk Carissa is your starting point guard or if Jamal Baker is starting at point guard or Terrell Brown even is in the starting lineup and these guys thrive, that's going to be a tough thing to do, too. So I, I see where you're going with this in terms of trying to fill out this roster and set the lineups and everything. I just don't think we can do it right now, and in a good reason, not because of anything yeah. bad, but because just there's so many ways it could go. Well, and, that, you know, like I said, there's so many little ripple effects, I think, of uh, the Tabella's commitment uh, in terms of those lineups. But also, like you said, is Akinjo granted immediate eligibility? Is that better or worse? Like, you know, for non-conference play, is it better to have Kirk Carissa get some, be able to get some starts at the point guard and have Jamal Baker or Terrell Brown start at the two? Or is that going to be a problem when you bring in Akinjo partway through the season after they start getting, you know, right. there's, it's going to be, there's, there are, there are raw materials and there are skill sets that Sean Miller is going to be able to piece together. Um, you know, for the people that have said that he can't maximize talent, I think this is going to be an opportunity for him to prove people right or wrong. <laughs> you know, I mean, well, because, like, you know, there's there's not really a surefire superstar in this group, right? No. Um, I don't even know if there's a really a surefire, like, hey, that guy's like an all-pack 12 guy. Maybe Akinjo, maybe. Um, and, and maybe uh, Azulis. But, you know, even then... You're you're still projecting a lot, right? Yeah. Um, That's all you can do with this roster, with pretty much with everybody. <laughs> yeah, and and even like, like Terrell Brown, if you want to. What? And Akinjo is the closest thing to a sure thing on this roster, and he's basically an undersized scoring point guard, right? Who's transferred because there were there are some question marks about his ability to fit in a team setting and share the rock a little bit. He has a reputation that he's, I assume, is probably overblown. But he has to prove that. We don't know exactly what type of player he's going to be. Is he going to be the Georgetown James Akinjo, or is he going to be something different? Is he going to be like a Mark Lyons type of lead guard as opposed to the reputation from... We just don't know. But we know he should be good. Yeah, so you you don't know, but there's people that at a minimum you can see the role for them, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, And then how do you fit that together? You have some guys that are maybe more defensive, athletic type specialists, think Ben, uh, think loco think maybe jordan brown you know jordan brown like i've said is kind of like the wild card suddenly i have confidence in most you know you have guards and post players that i think can you can run an offense through maybe not superstars but i think you can effectively run an offense through yeah you have uh, you know i think between akinjo and carissa i think and dale and terry i think you have guys that can facilitate and manufacture an offense effectively right you know i it might end up being a roster where nobody scores more than, you know, 12 points a game, but you end up winning a lot of games or at least being competitive in a lot of them, right? Um, the, you know, the one thing that still is like, 
the only thing that seems mildly lacking is three point shooting. Just like you don't have that, you know, you know, dead shooter in the uh, in the perimeter to make sure people are uh, not collapsing and playing, you know, the zone buster. But even then, you know, maybe the maybe the guards can fill that role. Like maybe Kirk Carissa, Akinjo, Terrell Brown, Jamal Baker can fill that role. Exactly. In a perfect uh, world, they can. Well, in a perfect world, we win every game 142 to seven. That and would be a lot of fun, actually. I, I would not get bored with blowing everybody out <laughs> for 35 straight games. Um, you know, and it, it's going to be really fascinating. I, it's it, it's it's going to be also fun to kind of watch a team that goes in without the the burden of expectations. Um, and I think the lack of that and the lack of that pressure will be something that this team can thrive in and probably surprise some people and sneak up on them. You know, I'm not going to go out on a limb and say that they're going to be, you know, a top 15 team because I just, I, there's so many unknowns that it's hard to, to know that. But boy, you can, you know, if things, it, if everything goes the right way, they're a great team. If a lot of things go right the right way, they're a really good team. Very good and dangerous team with enough players who can hurt you in different skill sets that I mean, one thing, these guys do come in having played a lot of against, a lot of these guys, these European players, play against some grown men in their other leagues. So the size of who they're going to play against won't phase them. The speed, we'll see. The athleticism, we'll see. But I do, it's it's really interesting looking at this because I guess they got both these guys, and Azul is supposed to be the good one. I don't know if the two of them, if you combine them to Tubeli, maybe. I don't know if that's how the, the plural of... <laughs> would be, but Azula's supposed to be the really good one. Todd Vilas is supposed to be his brother, and I hate saying he's he's supposed to be his yeah. brother. <laughs> there's the idea of like his he, there's a little bit less on him as far as a track record, and the thought is that Arizona was basically a package deal that they wanted to play together, and if you go and that's not unheard of, you know there, there's other programs that have done that. Arizona hasn't done that as often, or at least that I can remember, but. If you have a guy that you think could be that good, then what's a scholarship? I guess, right, if you have it available, shoot, ASU did that to get Josh Christopher. They had his brother on the team last year, and his brother's not any good. So I'm not saying Todd Vilas isn't going to be good, but he doesn't come in as the guy. People, like someone tweeted me asking, like, what, what's about it? Like, what do what, you know about his brother? There isn't much about him. Like, on the news, I'm like, well, that's probably all you need to know, right? There's not a lot out there on him. It's just because he hasn't made as much of an impact. But if you look at it, the way Arizona's roster sets up, they need some players, too, that are happy to come in, practice hard, fill in off the bench. If you're desperate, but otherwise you're a redshirt or you're just a practice player at the end of the bench, you need players like that because you're not going to have – if you look at the roster, there's how many guys, but would you say, could warrant minutes this year? Pretty much all of them could find a role. Maybe Goriner would be someone you'd say couldn't, but if he's as good a shooter, they could use him, right? So that's they need guys who are happy or at least content for this upcoming season to not play that, that not need 25 minutes a game, 30 minutes to be happy. And I'm not saying Todd Vilas won't become a good player for Arizona. I hope he does. I hope he surprises a lot of people who are overlooking him right now. But if he helps with practices and helps everything else and also helps them get his brother then it's a good pickup, too. Then today is a really good day for Arizona basketball. Yeah, and I, I, I think it's a little premature to even say Todd Vilas is, like, going to be, like, a nothing guy on the roster. I'm not Maybe trying he, to say that, but you know, the expectation's but, going in. 
Well, I mean, he should have the expectations of not playing any minutes this season because you've got a lot of guys in front of him, right? Um, and I, I'm personally really looking forward to as the season goes on and people get real, like, you know, maybe let's say we're, you know, a borderline top 25 team doing pretty well with this roster and everybody's like, oh, hey, these guys are going to stick around for a while. I, I look forward to when the Arizona Wildcat fan base starts to freak out that, oh, God, we need some roster spots and playing time next year for, for next year's commits. Because, what, there's two seniors on the roster? Uh, assuming Brandon Williams is, is gone, so you lose Terrell Brown and Ira Lee, neither of those guys are taking, you know, more than 10, 15 minutes a game. No. And it's hard to imagine Arizona going into an offseason where they were filling two scholarships. Right? <laughs> like, that's very difficult. It's, it's kind of comforting if the team is good because we've seen what happened this offseason where Arizona could add this many new players. The roster turnover has just been insane. And this is a lot of what people wanted to see, or at least this has the appearance of becoming what people wanted to see with con- roster consistency, guys who are in the program for two, three seasons, four seasons. And like you were saying, like we were talking about earlier, some of these guys are going to blow up this year. That's just the nature of college basketball. We don't know who it is, and it's very possible that it's going to be someone that we expected to stick around for a couple of seasons. But when you look at this recruiting, people are saying it's, and I wrote about this for Desert Swarm, when like the first, I guess, like the quartet of European players signed with Arizona. But there's this thought that Arizona is changing the recruiting strategy. And certainly for, for this recruiting cycle, they did. And was that because they targeted these guys first? Well, there were some, there were some five stars, traditional players that they would go after that they swung and missed on. And, but to rebound with this group, which you were telling me about the rankings. I know they were top 10 in 24-7 before, the, uh, before these guys committed, Azulis and Todd Vilas committed. But it's they're talk that, what, like top five recruiting class when this is all said and done? Yeah, I, I don't think they've assigned the, the ratings for the top the Tubelis brothers. Um, but it's, it's almost a sure thing that Azulis is at least a, a four-star, probably a high four-star. You know, some people are saying as high as, like, top 20, 25. And I would assume that uh, Todd Vilas, at least, you know, at a minimum warrants a three-star, maybe even, like, a low four-star based on just, you know, same gene pool. You'd think he has some talent. <laughs> you know, how many years did the Phoenix Suns go about getting the lesser brother? And it's like, yeah, same gene pool, but... I mean, to be honest, U of A football has been pretty good about getting the worst brother, too. Like, uh, with the... Uh, which we, it was, was it Darnay Holmes that went to UCLA and uh, we had, oh gosh, what was it? He was like a corner receiver that didn't do much. Yeah, that's exactly how I don't, I don't even remember. Yeah, exactly. We've had a, we've had a couple of those we got too. got the right Gronkowski. We had all we the Gronkowski. Well, two, two of them, yeah. Yeah. The right Gronkowski, the right Gronkowski, Gronkowski. I can't even, I can't even get my joke out. Damn it. <laughs> Man. If you can't pronounce Gronkowski, it's going to be a long basketball season of podcasts with this roster, Adam. <laughs> Did you see all the people tweeting? I think Jeff Dean, the PA announcer, friend, he's like, he's like, he's got to get his dictionary out or something, or it's this, like he's just going to have so many struggles. I think CJ Holmes, friend of the program, mentioned how many typos he's going to have this season covering <laughs> this team. <laughs> yeah, I think I saw, was it uh, Matt Moreno was like, uh, Arizona basketball 2020-2021, turn off autocorrect. <laughs> And I, well, and I look at this, I look at the roster, and I think like it reminds me of my Madden franchise that just has like all the name generator random names. Like that's what it feels like. This roster kind of is. It's just like eh, we're throwing a bunch of random, 
words together in letters. Talk but about uh, that, Rasha. We're excited about it right now because Arizona's added players, and there's buzz around these guys. But within Arizona, you see all the preseason top 25 lists that the National Writers have been coming out with. Arizona has not been a part of them. So maybe it would change with this pickup, but I have a hard time believing that these National Writers who probably don't know much about these guys, but all of a sudden say, oh, well, now Arizona's in the top 25. So it's we're excited, but I think part of that comes with a hedging of we're not expecting them to be great, certainly not early on, but we're more about the future of the, not just this season, but the program. And I was talking to someone, I feel like this could be a program-defining class. Not in, in, in part because if these guys pan out and stick around for a few years, we might be looking back and saying, this is their group that got Arizona back to the Final Four, and a couple of these guys are the players that got them to a national championship. But they're not done recruiting five-star guys. And in a, like ideally, they're going to next season replacing two players and can say, you know, Bonchero here, you're, you're one of them. Go, you know. Be a superstar on this team with all this talent around you, and you can be the one. And that's, that's the formula that works for Arizona that has worked, at least worked best. It hasn't gone to a Final Four, but we can talk about Wisconsin and bad luck all we want there. But having experience with just a couple one-and-dones or one superstar one-and-done is a great formula for Arizona to be a really good basketball team. So I don't think this is a complete change in philosophy, at least not. It's not the one that they wanted to make, again, because they would have got Kerwin Walton if they could have. Right, there was that Williams kid that they would have picked up, Zaire Williams. They would have picked him up absolutely if he would have chosen them. And I know there are some other guys, but in terms of a pivot, in terms of a rebound, like rebound recruiting, this is really damn good. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> uh, it's it's funny to think about how much people were panicking the day of Josh Christopher's commitment and uh, and how we had nobody on our roster, and now it's like, uh, you know, this is probably the best ASU team they're gonna have had in you know, 20 years, maybe. And I'm not sure they're better than Arizona next season when it's all said and done. You know what I mean? Um, not that not that that's what the the standard should be, but no, I, you know, the Pac-12, not. the Pac-12, I've said before, I think it's going to, I think it's going to be pretty wide open. Cause I don't think there's a great team next year that I'm seeing. And I think ASU is probably one of the top, you know, certainly one of the top three or four teams based on talent right now. But I think Arizona might be there now, too. And that, you know, there's, I think Arizona just has the unknown factor. But the beauty of the unknown factor is you don't have the expectations game, right? Not yet. So, yeah. I, like I mean, last it, season or two seasons before that, yeah. Sure. And, you know, you, you said, like, you're only adding two guys and it's, you know, Paulo Banchero. And I know they're in pretty well with uh, Jaden Hardy, you know, if, you, if the, the recruiting experts are to be believed. And Paulo Banchero is tight with uh, you know Jason Terry, who by the time you're listening to this, another piece of news is probably getting announced by the time this nice, comes out. Nice transition. That was good. You know, I, I'm, yeah, we're ready I'm for a, that. We can move on to that. I'm, a, I'm apparently no longer temporary here, Adam. <laughs> <laughs> I've, got, I've developed some skills. I, I was a role player that's now moved into a starting lineup position. <laughs> Be pippin'. Um, I refuse to go in for the last two seconds of this. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I watched the last dance. It was great. You could be coach if you want. I guess that'd be more appropriate, given. Yeah, that'd be more. That would be more apropos of the conversation of uh, the Eurozona roster that we're talking I about. Like, like Eurozona, the EU of a. Um, I believe that's. I believe that's hashtag EU Arizona. <laughs> like what is it like? Not was it not a players program, but like. 
Oh, I said a global player. Global. A global program, player. maybe. You know, it's it's fun. Like, and to be honest, the way Arizona basketball had been the last really three seasons, it's nice to have fun, and not and not in the way like okay, yeah, getting DeAndre Ayton that was fun. Putting together last year's recruiting class that was fun, right? But putting together this one, it's like okay, like this is a little different, but especially where it was six weeks ago, eight weeks ago. It looks like a successful offseason. And if these guys had been in America, most of these, most of these players, I don't know, one, if Arizona gets them, but two, people would probably even that, they'd be highly more highly rated, I would think, and just the national perception would be different than what it is. There is a lot of, well, these guys, we heard of them a little bit, we watched a highlight video, we've never seen them go up against other elite high school players on the circuits and all that, but it doesn't mean it's a bad team. In fact, it could mean it could come out to be a very, very good team even quicker than we think. Yeah, I mean, let's get a couple things straight. Preseason rankings in modern-day college basketball mean absolutely nothing, and they mean even less by the fact that most of those writers are not exactly doing their homework on this. They're saying, what's your recruiting class? Who's coming back? If it's not, you know, if I don't see stars, you know, there's there's no there's no narrative. There's no storyline. There's nobody to, like, hitch their wagon to for a narrative for the season, right? Yeah. You know, it's it's... I mean, look at look. It's almost like for some like look at Villanova. They didn't have necessarily the star players, but they won a national title and went to how many you know how many deep runs in in the in the March Madness tournament, right? But they're they're kind of forgettable because they don't they didn't have the narrative, right? And that's what the national media guys want. They want the narrative. Um, you know, this is just going to be a roster that's hella intriguing and as as much fun as the highs were last year when the the roster got you know. But all the Pistons were firing, or as close to all firing at the same time as possible. You know, it was fun to watch the games, but Lord knows there was plenty of times where it was real rough watching the games. Yeah. You know, I don't think with the skill players and the, you know, the people, the basketball IQ on this roster, and you have guys that can, you have enough guys there that I'm confident you're going to find one or two defensive stoppers plus more minutes for Christian Coloco to seal the souls of men with repeated block shots. And he just, you know, smiles at them and says, no. The, the beauty, I think, is that outside of Akinjo, and I only say that right now because I don't know about these other, like Carissa, how ready he'll be, is that you're not necessarily relying on any single player to carry you in this season. Like, not right now. There's going to be people who step up and become those guys but it's not like, a, well, if this guy doesn't pan out, Arizona's screwed. Like, last year, it's like you knew if Nico Mannion wasn't as good as advertised, it wasn't going to be as good of a team. You know, if Josh Green wasn't as advertised, and I think they were both good, they weren't great. And then Arizona wasn't a better team than it was. So that's not to say that these guys will be better than them, but just that Arizona has more depth. And how many times was it last season if those guys, if the three freshmen didn't play well, Arizona had no chance? Well, if I mean, this next season, if three freshmen don't play well, they have three more that can maybe play well. <laughs> like well, I mean, to be fair, we had similar conversations about the depth last last season on the roster. Um, but also a lot of that depth kind of went away when, like, Devin Erdutrieff gets kicked off the team. Brandon Williams yeah. isn't playing. Chase Jeter's Struggled, issues. Yeah. You know, I, I'm just going to say issues in the broadest sense with Chase Jeter. And Max Hazard was unreliable, and then... Issues and issues. Uh, so you know that you know you you never know what's exactly going to happen, but it still seems like there's 
it's it seems like there's both a quality and quantity of of talent on the roster. Uh, and I, like I said, you, you know, you said maybe they're only replacing two guys on the roster. I don't think there's a chance in hell it's only two guys on the roster next year. You know, I think, like I said, I think one of Mathurin and Dalen Terry is going to blow up, and they're going to jump. Maybe Jordan Brown. I think Azulis is, if he's what we think he can be. I think he's gone. I think you're probably looking at potential, like one and done potential. I, my guess is you're looking at a three to four man class, and that's where if you can get Paulo Banchero and Jaden Hardy in addition to whatever remains on this roster, and you still have you have a junior Christian Coloco, you have a sophomore Daniel Bacho, maybe you have Jordan Brown, uh, you have probably one of Dalen Terry and Ben Mathurin. Yeah, you still probably have a Kinjo because I don't think he's tall enough to make the jump to the NBA. Um, Jamal Baker is, is as a senior, uh, Kirk Carissa is a sophomore, unless. You know, you know, really low chance, but he could be. I think his upside is super high. I don't think he's going to get a chance to blow up that much this year. But those are be like I think you're going to have three or four guys that 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 leave, and you kind of almost have to have that to have a, to to be active on the recruiting circuit, right? Um, and in your ideal world, uh, Azulis kills it. You know, goes and is an NBA pick, and then you say, Paulo Banchero, you come step in and be the starting power forward next year. And, you know, suddenly that roster looks hella good, right? And also, I think I had read from Azulis, too, he said part of the reason he chose Arizona was because of how Miller's helped players similar to him get to the pros. He mentioned Derek Williams, who didn't have a great NBA career, but has had a pro basketball career, was the number two pick in the draft after just two seasons as a low recruit. And if these guys come in and play well under Miller, then now you start to build. I guess it was Jack Murphy was the lead recruiter on these guys, so props to Murph for this. But you start to build that pipeline where some of the top four like international talent will look at Arizona as a top option. That's not a bad thing either because if these guys play well, and we've, we've seen it, right, with Arizona. They've pulled players from overseas who have helped them. But that's just another way to find town, another avenue where they could go to get players and if the best talent from overseas looks at Arizona as a premier option to develop and grow and get to the NBA or whatever level they want to get to, then that's just more opportunities for Arizona to keep adding talent. So it's, there's a lot, of, a lot of good that could come from this roster. And like I said, we're recording this on Wednesday. This was the big news of the day for Arizona, big positive Arizona news. There was other positive Arizona news that came up, and you mentioned it, Brett. Jason Terry, we, we've known this for about four weeks now, five weeks, that it was like he was set to become an assistant to fill out Miller's staff. We don't need to spend too much time on those. It's it's still good news, right? So it's it's not a bad thing that Jason Terry, I did read, I think Jody Ayler uh, tweeted out that he had talked to Terry at like the final four a year ago, and Terry mentioned that he wants to become the head coach of Arizona one day, which I guess it doesn't hurt. You need to, it helps to be an assistant at this level. I don't know if it'd be, he's saying, okay, I'll be, a, I'll be an assistant for a couple of years, and then Sean Miller, when you, but it's it's good to have guys on the staff who have dreams of being head coaches because, one, it means they're going to have that drive to get there. And then for Terry to be willing to pay his dues as the assistant on the staff and learn, even though he's learned from other guys, too, when he was a professional in the NBA, like, I, I like the hire for so many reasons. I guess that, that's what I'm saying. Like, I think Terry will be a really good addition to the staff. And for what it means to have a guy like that with the history of a Jason Terry with this program, now positive with all this momentum. I think when the, when the rumor came out, it was like, oh, we just needed some good news. This is just like, all right, here's more good news. Yeah, and 
Jason Terry is like a legend in Seattle. I think we talked about it in the past, right? That's And that's a basketball recruiting hotbed. And a lot of what you want out of your assistant coaches is is that kind of recruit, recruiting pipeline. Uh, and I, you know, I think Sean Miller generally trusts his assistants to kind of do the do the legwork on the recruiting, and he'll kind of come in and be the, him in the past if you want to. <laughs> well, let's, let's not relitigate that mess. <laughs> um, but you know, it's it, 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 it's hard to see that as anything but you know, positive news and from a fan engagement, tying back to the older generations. Um, and, you know, talking about, like, I think we talked about a few weeks back, like having a combo scoring point guard come be an assistant coach on a roster with, that's going to have a pretty large number of combo scoring point guards on it. Right. Like, you know, Kirk, Carissa, James Akinjo, Terrell Brown, they're kind of all scoring point guards. Right. Um, and, you know, he's somebody that can understand how to maximize that role, even when you're not necessarily, you know, typical NBA size, and right? He's too willing to play it off the bench. Yeah. Some of these guys, like he, he was a pretty important player on a pretty good team. So to <laughs> have that, to it's, there's there seems to be no downside to that move. And I said we talked about about a month ago when it first came out that he was going to be the guy. It should be officially going. Recording on Wednesday. It's supposedly it's been rumored to become official on Thursday. Must be because Arizona was in a hiring freeze due to the COVID-19 stuff. Appears they've lifted that at least to hire Jason Terry. So that's just that's just good news. That that's more good news. Like John Krasinski would enjoy Arizona basketball right now because there's just a lot of good news over and over and over again. Is that fair? Yeah. I like it. Yeah. Well, we're going to, as we've been doing the last couple of weeks, we're going to break down some Arizona football depth chart. But before we do that, let's take a quick break. All right, Brett. So the commercial break over. Let's get into it. The football team, we've gone over some of the, what people would deem more important positions. Quarterback, cornerback, safety, wide receiver. But for Arizona football this season, with a quarterback who's supposedly a better passer and a team that we're expecting to be more competitive, the positions of tight end and then just special teams could play a much bigger role, especially special teams, because it's one of those where if yours are bad, you know it, and when they're good, you really don't think about it. We're going to start with the tight ends because that's where that was the one you wanted to talk about. I know Arizona's had some decent players at the positions just – I know last season there wasn't much to go, like much in the way of stats, I think, except for maybe I think the first touchdown of the season for Arizona went to Wolma, and then I don't know if he caught a pass the rest of the way. Yeah, was it his sophomore year that Wolma actually uh, statistically peaked so far? Um, It's always good to peak in your sophomore year. For me, it was not even in high school. I guess if you peak as a sophomore in college, it could be worse. I, I, I'd, li- I'd like to think that you peaked in your sophomore year as an adult. <laughs> like your second year out of college. <laughs> Even still, it's been downhill. <laughs> um, yeah. I, 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 it's going to be interesting to see the tight ends this year because I think you're going to see a more true Noel Mazzoni offense and you're having a quarterback that is, shall we say, uh, more open to throwing to the check down. Which, let's be real, sometimes the tight end is that. But that, you know, sometimes the check down is a really productive play. Um, and I think if you look through the depth chart, you got, what, 
I mean, Jake Peters left. They had Drake Dabney was a pretty highly rated commit who decommitted, and they replaced him really quickly with the uh, uh, JUCO guy, Stacy Marshall, who was the talk of spring that that six practices. Um, and then I think they're still classifying Zach Williams as a soft as a the Richard sophomore as a tight end, even though he's kind of like a tweener uh, wide receiver tight end which I suppose you could probably say might be uh, the Roberto Miranda path potentially, too, down the road. Yeah. Um, you know, but, but between, if let's assume that you most of your snaps go to Woolman and Stacey Marshall, and the hype is to be believed, and Stacey Marshall's measurables are, you know, very, he's a, he's a, he's a large human being. He he's looks the part. He's more of a blocker, though, right? Yeah, but I, th- I mean... It's, it's hard to know, especially in JUCO, when you look at, like, highlight videos, and highlight videos are just that. They're highlight videos. They don't show the times the guy dropped the pass, you know? Uh, so you take all those with a grain of salt, um, and that's where you kind of have to almost lean on kind of the, the rumblings from camp for for those kind of the, the skills. Uh, <laughs> hey, Arizona football still undefeated in 2020. <laughs> Uh, to your point, like I like Bryce Wolma. He's a solid player, and I made sure he did catch the first touchdown catch against Hawaii, and then he caught four more passes the rest of the season. He caught one pass each in five different games. But we've seen what he can do. He's not a bad pass catcher as a tight end, and he has experience. He did catch 28 passes as a freshman is what it was, 28 catches, 241 yards, and two touchdowns. No one would look at the tight ends, Walmart or otherwise, to be the leading receiver. But as a security blanket, as that dump off, as the guy who's probably not going to get as much attention from defenses because of the receivers, Grant Cannell should be able to find some possibilities, find some opportunities to get Walmart or Marshall, whoever is the tight end, the ball. And uh, like you said, a Nolan Mazzoni offense would feature the tight end more in theory. Of course, the quarterback has to find them. So, like, I... Well, first he has to look for them, then he has to find them. Oh, yeah, so <laughs> details. But and then if, if Marshall's as good a blocker, as that's what I read when they recruited. Or, like, these guys, like, they're probably going to be replied on to be blockers more than anything early on. But that's when, when defenses are used to you being a blocker. That's when you sneak out for, like, a wheel route or that just down the seam or that outlet for the quarterback who needs to dump the ball off. Like, there's going to be opportunities, but they're certainly not going to be featured in the passing game. I mean... It's been the uh, waiting for Godot for Arizona football fans the last however many years since Rich Rod took over even, where it's like, oh, we're going to use, start incorporating the tight end more. You know, it's kind of, I'll see it, uh, I'll believe it when I see it. But boy, you know, once, like you said, once in a while, like a tight end scene when you got three receivers running crossing routes and running backs that catch the ball out of the backfield out in the flats, you know, boy, there's going to be some opportunities between that blocking and checkdowns, you can they can be a threat on the field, right? Yeah. Especially in the red zone. Oh, absolutely. And and that's where and actually in the red zone is where I kind of even wonder if like somebody like Zach Williams might get sneak in and get some snaps because he's basically just a big receiver. Um you know, so I I think all three of those guys are gonna get to play. I I hope that Grant Cannell and Mazzoni try to feature them a little bit more in the offense. I'm cautiously optimistic that it will be more, mainly because it can't be less. <laughs> but I've been surprised before. <laughs> right. uh, um, you know, so, and with those three guys, you know, you got to feel pretty good about your position group. 
that they're going to at worst be competent and maybe even be like a mild strength to the roster. And strength, of course, is a relative thing, right? We're not predicting them to be Rob Gronkowski out there. We're predicting or we're expecting, rather, competency and the occasional big play because they're not going to be the primary focuses of a defense. That's all. And, and not even necessarily big plays. If, if your tight ends get three to five catches a game, that's life-changing for Arizona football compared to what it has been, where it's like three to five catches a season, it felt like. Yeah. Um, and if, the, the, the beauty is we have a pretty good stable of running backs, too, right? Like we've, we've, we've touched on, uh, or at least indirectly so far. Um, and if you have a good running game, that can really open it up for you know, play-action type plays that tight ends are maybe the best targets on a play-action play most of the time, right? Because people are, it, it kind of goes with the, oh, it's a run play, and tight ends are usually blocking during that, you know? Basic football 101. Um, so, you know, it, again, it's one of those things, it's, we'll, we'll see how it plays out. I'm cautiously optimistic with, without being unrealistic with my expectations. How's that, how's that for hedging? I think that's totally fair, actually. Um, speaking of expectations, special teams. Um, <laughs> I, we have to talk about them because we promised people we would talk about them. Um, Arizona goes in this season, presumably with Lucas Haversick being the kicker again, the place kicker. He was every bit as advertised, huge leg, inconsistent on his field goals, made that huge one against Hawaii to give Arizona a chance after what was like three straight false start penalties where it's like, Really? <laughs> and he made it. To his credit, he made that kick. Missed two against Arizona State. Missed two against USC. Of course, they were 56 and 50 yards. You're not really expecting him to make those. He seemed to, outside of the 26-yarder he missed against ASU, he seemed to make the kicks that you would expect him to make. And then a few that were like, oh, that's impressive. Like, you made that long one. So he's got a big leg, great on kickoffs. Missed just two extra points, so he was fairly reliable there. You'd like to do better. Arizona did pick up a commitment, a kicker this season, or this recruiting class, but I I don't see anyone other than Lucas Haversick being the kicker for this team. And I'm – I they got Tyler Lupas the commit. I uh, was a three-star. But, yeah, I, I don't feel great about Lucas Haversick being the kicker, but also I don't think I've ever felt great about anyone being the kicker for any college team ever. So I guess that's okay. And the uh, – what was it? Nick Folk? Even Nick Folk, who had a really good NFL career, was not that great at Arizona, right? Yeah, like that's the funny I mean, thing. Like he, I think I think Haversick is uh, average, an average college kicker at worst, at worst, maybe even slightly above average. Yeah, Tyler Loop is fairly well regarded. I think he was like, you know, considered one of the top kickers in the class. Uh, so you know, we'll see we'll see how it plays out. You know, if you're relying on your kicker. Uh, to put a lot of points on the board to win games if you're Arizona this year, it probably means you're not winning a lot of games. But when he is when he is called upon to make a kick, like yeah. uh, it was when Arizona beat UCLA, their kicker missed a kick at the end to seal it, right? When Arizona lost to ASU two years ago, Pollock missed the kick that would have won it. And it's not necessarily you can't put it on your kicker. It's never fair to put it on your kicker and say, you have to win this game, but they're out there with basically one job at that moment, it's to put that ball through the uprights. So when you can have a guy that you can trust in those situations, you feel really good. And to have a like I said, he made that huge one against Hawaii. Now, it wasn't like 
you miss this, Arizona loses, you make this, Arizona wins. But it was still a huge kick in a pressure moment, a 53-yard kick, and he made it. So Also, if he missed that kick, there was never a chance of ever coming back in that game. No, but no one was going to blame Haversick either. Oh, no, thing. absolutely not. So, I, so for him, like I'm comfortable enough with him as a senior being the kicker for them. Does that mean Loop can't come in and show more accuracy? No, because Haversick isn't the most accurate kicker that you'll find. But he's got a big leg, which is huge on kickoffs. And it does give you a chance in those 50-yard field goals where I don't know if Loop as a freshman will have that kind of a leg. But just you could do worse than Lucas Haversick as your kicker. Some schools have, will do better, but you could do worse. Yeah, I, he's, he's, he's the Arizona tight ends of the specialists. Now, to where Arizona had, could probably do much better, punters. I don't remember the last time the Wildcats had a punter that we felt good about. And again, if you're like you don't want your uh, punters on the field much, who the, the Cal transfer for that one year? Oh, a couple, Dylan, a couple years ago, uh, yeah. Dylan. Okay, you're right. I forget his name, but he was fine. <laughs> he was actually pretty good. But but that's like if you look at punters, right? Like ASU had that Turk kid last year who was just amazing. He was a defensive weapon. Because he was pinning guys within the 10, and he was just phenomenal, changing field position, flipping the field. Arizona doesn't have that. And punter is a position, too, similar to kicker, where you don't feel, you don't worry about them, you don't think of them until you really need them or until they really screw up somehow. You know, when you're midfield and your punter shanks it and it's a 12-yard punt, it's like, oh, that was a chance to flip the field. Just like when your kicker misses a chip shot field goal as time's winding, and you're like, oh, come on. That's when you think about them. You don't rely on them. But a punter is going to get opportunities, and right now Kyle Ostendorp would be, I guess, the favorite to have the job again, although he did kind of lose it last year. Him and Matt Aragon split the reps there. But he wasn't great last season, certainly wasn't reliable. So that's going to have to improve. Yeah, and if you go back to if, if you're the glut for punishment that I sometimes am and follow football re- recruiting closely, closely enough to know that we offered a scholarship out of high school, which a lot of times the specialists get, you know, preferred walk-ons and they kind of earn their way to a scholarship spot. We gave him a scholarship from day one, and he wasn't even like, I'm pretty sure he was a local kid, right? And uh, I think there was even higher rated puncher that we didn't offer that to. Um, So it's like, you know, but of course that that kind of pain can go away if he makes a leap here in a sophomore year, but, you know, his only competition is likely going to be walk-ons. Uh, I think Loop can punt too. I think I had read that somewhere. Yeah, I gotta think. Sense. I gotta think that they w- that the coaching staff wants to try to redshirt Tyler Loop if at all possible. And I presume that kickers have the same kind of four-game new redshirt rule where they can play in four games. Mm-hmm. I would presume, which is kind of an interesting wrinkle, as much as it can be for a backup specialist. Um, but you know, I don't. I don't think they want to burn Tyler Loop's redshirt to come in and be a below-average punter. Yeah, I think they. I guess he was listed as a 4.5 star punter, as well. So. Yeah, I mean, if he's good, if that's his future. I mean, we'll see. You know, <laughs> I. Th- you 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 don't really know. Um, I think. I think they're probably counting on the guy they gave a scholarship to to be the guy. Um, otherwise, you know, there's part of me that's like it's a sunk cost, but also it's college football and scholarships are limited, and you gave the kid one, you kind of need to have him perform, right? Yeah. 
uh, and it's not a good look to uh, say, hey, your scholarship is no longer valid here. Maybe you should go somewhere else. It would be nice if Ostendorp and Haversick could start the season and just be good or consistent because Arizona shuffled through kickers quite a bit over the last few years because they haven't had consistency there. They haven't had guys they can rely on or they felt good about. So that'd be nice. We could talk about the return game, but I don't even know if that's worth getting into because there's so many candidates who could do it. I know Brightwell was the main kickoff guy recently, but with him presumably being the number one running back, you wouldn't necessarily want him out there handling kickoffs. So there's so many players who it could be which receive, you know, between the receivers and all the other running backs they have, that I'm not worried about the return game for them. I'm worried no. about the guys who are kicking the ball. Well, it's short answer for me. Just go Cunningham returning kicks and be done with it. <laughs> it makes sense. I, c- I could live with that. Especially but. when they get to rely on him as a receiver as much this year, potentially. So That's fair. That'd be, that'd be my, my thought. Um, but, you know, I guess Haversick, I feel like, is a average to maybe slightly above average. Ostendorp needs to make a leap, otherwise it's going to be painful. And devastating. There are times where Arizona needed a good punt and didn't get it. You know, when you have a chance to flip the field or when you're buried deep in your territory, the last thing you need is a 25-yard punt. Uh, that just sets the opponent up in your territory, basically. So, no, it's... When you're, on, when you're a scholarship punter, you need to be better and... I, I don't want to regular him. He's a freshman, and guys get better over the course of their careers. So it's very possible that he takes a step forward. He's more comfortable. He's a little bit stronger, has a better idea of what he needs to do, and he's fine. And I'm not saying you need to be a punter who pins everything inside the 10-yard line. No, that's not fair. That's the best of the best. That's why punters kick till they're 45 years old in the NFL, because if you can do that, if you're good at it, I mean, why was Adam Vinatieri as a kicker in the league for like 25 years? Because he was good, right? It's hard to be a good kicker. And that with as many college players, like it's... If you're relying on college kickers, it's your own fault. But when you have good ones and they win you games or change games like a good punter can, then you're a lot better for it. And if Arizona's a better team this year than we think, then they're going to be competitive. And if they're competitive, having a really good punter or having a reliable kicker could be the difference in a couple of wins for them. Yeah, that could be the difference between four, five, six wins and six, seven wins, right? Yeah. Um, but we'll see. Uh, yeah, I mean, it kind of is what it is at this point. Um, and that was, a good, that was good to kind of bring us back down to reality after all that optimism talk in the, in the, in the basketball roster. Uh, I mean, we can't have all just good news all the time, Adam. No, it, we can't be like that. And also it does just, you know, it's hard to keep it totally good news about Arizona football, right? As optimistic as we are, as we are about some positions, there's a reason they won four games last season. So... Yeah, it's not just because of special teams. Don't get me wrong, <laughs> but it is, hey, you know. But hey, we're not the we're not the school in Arizona that's in the news for bad news. Where our highest prominence head coach and athletic director are, shall we say, debating what constitutes sexual harassment and assault. That was also came out Wednesday. As it was known, I think that story. We could finish up the show with a couple of housekeeping here. There was pretty known, I think, that there was an issue there, but then there were emails that Pete Thamel of Yahoo Sports tracked down that were from Ray Anderson and Bobby Hurley for ASU Basketball, if you're unfamiliar with what Brett was referencing. And let's just say it's not a good look for Ray Anderson, especially. Like, it looks good for Bobby Hurley, actually. And I do know late in the day Wednesday, Bobby Hurley released a statement basically saying that things with him and Ray Anderson are fine today, that they're excited about moving forward with a great season for ASU Basketball. So... But still, it's nice to be 
I guess it's nice to be in headlines for good news or not in the headlines at all while your rival school is in the news for negative things. Like, that's, that's never a bad thing for you. Hey, sometimes no news is good news for Arizona sports. Right. And I guess this did come out after we did the show last week, but a little bit of football. Arizona-Alabama scheduled for a home-and-home football series for 2032 and 2033. So are you ready to go to Tuscaloosa? I mean, the last time Arizona played in SEC school, I was there in Baton Rouge for that LSU beatdown that made Willie Tuitama go from one of our best quarterbacks ever to when I saw him outside a strip club at a bachelor party in San Diego. Oh, the, how the mighty had fallen. <laughs> was that, what, 2007? Yeah, it was six or seven. I think it might have been seven. I was in grad school at the time. Six and it was seven, grad- okay. Yeah, yeah this, this story comes like, all right, Arizona wants Bama. I, it's fun. It was a fun story to come out. It's like, hey, Arizona and Alabama made the Greg Byrne connection helps. He's now the AD over at Alabama. It's also like, the players who are going to be in that game are at the oldest, like, seven right now, maybe. <laughs> By the way, can we, t- can we take a photo of Nick Saban today, as this is announced, put it in a time capsule, and assuming he's still coaching at Alabama at 82 or whatever, and to hold it up next to him when we, when we go to Tuscaloosa, and he probably looks board. exactly the same. <laughs> That, that's the thing. Like it's it's a fun thing, and everyone's like, oh, I was going to get hammered." Probably, but who knows what these programs will look like in twelve years? <laughs> like it's possible Alabama will be worse. It's possible Arizona will be better. Not likely, but possible. And it's possible the Earth won't exist in twelve years, and football won't be a thing. Who knows? So, <laughs> but it, it's that is the funny about scheduling, especially football, basketball. When you see these things come out, it's usually within a year or two. Football, it's always like. This game, this series will be scheduled 10 years from now, 15 years from now. It's like, yeah, okay, we'll see about that. <laughs> I mean, as a, as a frame of reference, 12 years ago for Arizona Wildcats football, they beat a ranked BYU team in a bowl game in Nevada, in the Vegas Bowl. Really, Tui Thomas' senior year. Hey, there you go. That was Arizona's return to the bowls. Like, that was their first bowl game in, I think, 10 years. And... Look at that coaching staff. Mike Stoops is head coach. Sonny Dykes is offensive coordinator. Mark Stoops is defensive coordinator. Yeah. Basically, so. totally what we had the last couple of years. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah, so I think that's it for the news. Um, anything else you got, Brett? No. <laughs> no. I think that's it. Well, we appreciate you listening. As always, everyone, you can catch us on... Pretty much every channel where you can get a podcast other than SoundCloud, I was told. I asked to find out which one, so I don't want to say the wrong one, and that's what I was told. We're everywhere but SoundCloud. So that includes, you know, Spotify, Google Play, Apple, you know, podcasts, pretty much everything. If you can get podcasts, you can find us on there. Share the podcast with your friends. You know, let us know if you have any questions. Wildcat Radio AZ, tweet them to us. We'd be happy to throw them up on the next week's show because... We want to talk about what you guys want to talk about. Like, we have our ideas, but we're always happy to listen and see what other Wildcats fans are thinking right now and see if we give our take on it, right? Yeah. Cool. Thanks for your contribution to that part of the show, Brett. <laughs> <laughs> you just did it so well. Oh, well, I, I know that's not true. <laughs> Other than the fact that you mentioned the one thing that we're not on like three times. Yeah, I, I was just reaffirming, don't go there. Okay. 
But keep tuning into the Wildcat radio station to said Bryant and the gang. They keep throwing up podcasts, going through some old Arizona basketball games, doing some play-by-plays, and just other podcasts that will drop intermittently, not just ours. So, you know, look for what's happening there because we try to keep you up to date on Arizona Wildcats news, and it seems like this this summer and this pandemic, the news still hasn't stopped. So I guess that things could be worse. Yeah. By the way, I'm going to throw in another plug to Bryant. I still think we should do a hate watch an awful Arizona game together on a on a podcast. <laughs> Which game would you choose? Well, I mean, I think I threw out the the Houston game. So that, for football, that, that one was pretty bad. I mean, maybe you could do it for that LSU game in honor of the Alabama uh, SEC getting announced again. Well, the last time we done, played. I know they've done basketball games, and there's. I feel like you don't want to do hate watch for those games because they're too painful. Like, I would not want to go back and do play-by-play for the Wisconsin games, for the Xavier game, for, you know, UConn. I would not, I would not want any part of that. <sighs> oh, you do? Yeah. No. I think, it's, I think it's more fun when it's less, it's less painful when it's just a complete disaster. Then you can and laugh at it. football and you didn't have much in the way of expectations anyway. It's like, oh, yeah, they, they stunk. Then you can just have fun clown music playing in the background, right? <laughs> Yakety sax the whole time. <laughs> it's a possibility. Bryant, let us know if you're interested because Brett has an idea. One. One idea. That's his idea, so it's... Yeah, you don't get any more than that. Thanks, everyone. Thank you for listening. We'll catch you next week, and until then, remember to bear down. Bear down. <laughs>